faded. Dang. We're really coming up. We're really coming up in the world, Anthony Smith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Freightonomics podcast. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightways. And with me, as always, the illustrious Anthony Smith, lead economist, executive producer, uh, what do you call it? Rugby? Rugby I player? I haven't been rugby in a long time. You haven't retired rugby? athlete. He's a retired athlete. Once upon a time. Um, Current Aggie. Once an Aggie, always an Aggie. Go to New Mexico State. Go That's Aggies great. this weekend as they... Taking on South Carolina. Go. A little warm-up for Bama. I mean, why not, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, with it. We got a big show today, Anthony Smith. We've got... I am really excited about our guest today. Yeah. Gabrielle Rocher, Rocher, uh, the founder of... Um, you know, the, the purpose-driven, purpose, the, the purpose, the purpose company. company. Uh, <laughs> to look down, going blank in the middle of talking. That's always fun. Um, she is considered a millennial expert, though. And we're going to talk about some of the generational differences uh, between, you know, the employment sector right now is absolutely on fire as companies are really scrambling to try to figure out how to hire uh, enough people, the right talent, et cetera. And of course, there's always this ongoing theme about, you know, generational differences. And yeah. today, I, I've got a lot of questions <laughs> about those generational differences. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about yeah, it. Yeah, we have the right person. I've seen uh, Gabrielle before. If you haven't already checked her out, mm-hmm. she's all over YouTube. She has an amazing company. She helps drive you to your purpose and help find that fulfillment. But I'm excited to have her on to talk about some of those changes that we we're talking about just a second ago. But we have to talk about our sponsors. We have do have a sponsor. At the top of the show, we got to get to it. So Envision Global... Envision Global is a leading freight audit supply chain management services company offering enterprise-wide supply chain solutions. With over 4,000 global business partners, Envision Global not only provides prompt, accurate freight audit solutions, but also providing industry-leading supply chain information management solutions and services necessary to help its clients maximize efficiencies within their supply chain. To learn more, visit EnvisionGlobal.com. Thank you to Envision Global. And I got through that one. Brooklyn Look at you. Public Schools did me good this time. So we have that. And we also have a real quick hit. Before we get to our guest of the hour, or half hour. Half hour today. <laughs> we got to talk about this chart that you got. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, you know, this this is our lead-in. This is our lead-in for our guest, really. That's how, We've got our OTVI, our Outbound Tender Volume Index, over the top of the employment, uh, non-seasonally adjusted employment levels uh, for the truck industry, trucking industry. So that includes all the back office workers and drivers, et cetera. And you can see a huge divergence in these two indices. Now, the one, uh, the green one, the green line measures truckload demand in the form of truckload tenders. Uh, You know, the index has grown dramatically year over year, but you look at the employment levels and they almost simultaneously went in complete polar opposite directions here. And even though the trucking industry has slowly crawled back on its employment uh, levels. Uh, We are still well below where we were in 2019, which of course many consider to be somewhat of a fat bloated uh, trucking industry environment where demand was a little bit suppressed uh, in relation to the overall supply. Of course, all the equipment and everything that everybody bought in 2018 because they got a lot of money uh, due to some inflationary pressures, et cetera. And now... All of that went away almost overnight with COVID. Uh, and the OTVI has been sustained. And this is the big part of the, this is the real big part of the equation is that truckload demand and transportation demand has 
sustained at a high level for a very long period of time. We're in month 14 of you know significant year-over-year comps. Now that's starting to go away a little bit, but um, yeah. And and one of the big themes of the year, not only is demand for freight been huge, but every single industry <laughs> has struggled with employment and bringing people back. A lot of people furloughed yeah. uh, workers in the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of uncertainty there. They had to because people weren't going out to eat, et cetera. The trucking industry didn't think that things were gonna, this did, they certainly didn't think they were, that the pandemic would make things better. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, obviously you gotta do what you gotta do to keep your business afloat, uh, but they guessed wrong. <laughs> and now the employment sector, especially for a lot of blue collar uh, jobs, simply not, um, just not being filled fast enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, like you said, it's across the board. And I, this is one of the things I really want to ask Gabriel about because we're looking at different trends within different sectors. And we're looking at blue collar. Not as many people or younger uh, millennials or Gen Zers going into that field. Um, a lot opting to still go to college and then kind of finding their way into that field. So looking at some of these changes, some of these generational shifts, I think it's going to be one of those other big questions. But without further ado, let's bring let's her on. Bring on <laughs> yeah. the one and only Gabrielle Boche. We're talking co-founder of The Purpose Company, two-time TEDx speaker and best-selling author. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hmm. Maybe not. She's, she's frozen. frozen. <laughs> she's frozen. You know what she's doing? Yeah. She's building anticipation. I mean, really, we got we got all this buildup now. She's so while we're getting while we're getting Gabrielle ready or getting getting her back, uh, you know, thanks Wi-Fi, uh, <laughs> back back in the in in line. Let's let's dive a little bit. Let's dive into uh, you know we it's Thursday, right? Yeah. So we've got employment. It's employment Thursday. So this is where we talk about the employment level. So did we get anywhere with the employment? I mean, these numbers have been so disconnected from what I feel like the overall experience is in terms of people trying to find employment. Yeah, so what we saw in the latest number for the initial jobs claims number was that it ticked up just slightly to mm -hmm. um, 330 some odd thousand. This was an increase from a pandemic low just reached last week, mm -hmm. last Thursday. So we are seeing that there are more consumers or more Americans going back to the workplace on, an, on a longer term basis. When we look mm -hmm. at continuing claims, they're going down. So that's a good sign. We are seeing more and more openings. I think we're going to see that peak of that openings hit soon or the pace of those openings hit soon. Um, still over 10 million. Um, that's somewhat or very much impressive. So uh, looking at that, those trends all across the board, showing good signs, but there are a lot of headwinds at play. Right. So look at that recent vaccine mandate that just went through. We're looking at um, unemployment benefits that ended. So that might be a tailwind um, that, that a lot of people are expecting to push people back into right. the workplace. Uh, we're looking at um, the difficulties to finding or sourcing the right laborers for the right roles. When we look at manufacturing, that's one of the big ones. We look at trucking, we look at freight, we look at driving. There's been a big one with a lot of drivers potentially going into different industries because of this vaccine mandate. But Zach, as you know, the industry is already so fragmented. That's one of the first things I learned about freight and transportation is that yeah. the industry is so fragmented. There are tons of smaller operations, smaller fleets already at like in effect right now. Does something like this make it more so broken out? Um, do we see more smaller fleets, more smaller, maybe mom-pop style operations? Or do people maybe get pushed to get vaccinated because money talks and as those rates, <laughs> rates keep climbing, 
it gets a little bit more persuasive. But you're like, you know what? Maybe these shots aren't too bad if I'm getting paid this rate per mile. Yeah, I, I think that's a good question in terms of like, do we see uh, growth in the smaller fleet sector? I think that's probably the first spot that, you know, since it is companies over 100 employees that are going to be mandated potentially uh, to get the vaccination. Do and, and again, the small fleets already thrive in this type of environment. Yeah. When you have extremely tight capacity, uh, a lot of the drivers move from those larger fleets and they, dro they drop into these smaller fleets where they have a little bit more control and stability over their routes. Uh, for the most part, not all large fleets have an unstable routes or whatever, but it's just kind of a natural progression uh, yeah. for a driver. And, and that's, uh, you know, you move from, you know, doing anything and everything to start, you slowly start to specialize in certain routes, lanes, a certain amount of mileage. And of course, a lot of them just want to get home more often. Yeah. Um, not, a, not a lot of them end up, you know, driving over the road for 40 years. <laughs> they, they end up in a dedicated fleet or something that's a little bit more consistent over time because that's, you know, once you've seen the, the nation, some people just really love it. Yeah. You know, they really just love it and, and they continue to do it. But a lot of them end up getting into that more predictable set. And, you know, something that we've been talking about and hopefully we'll talk to Gabrielle about here shortly is the millennial or the younger generation. I, I, I hate using generational labels. Mm -hmm. You know, I myself am on the verge of millennial Gen X, um, <clears throat> you know, by definition. And I just, I can't stand labeling you know, generations and giving them so like the same characteristics. Yeah, yeah. So I think we got Gabrielle back. Let's bring her on and let's ask her these questions and see what she thinks about all this. All right. I got to give her the intro again. I have to say <laughs> co-founder of The Purpose Company, two-time TEDx speaker, best-selling author, Gabrielle Boger. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks, guys. And I'm not going to jump over the irony of the millennial coming on and having technical difficulties. So uh, appreciate you guys having me on here and being patient with me. No, thank you so much for uh, for coming on today. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. I looked at uh, your website uh, for the Purpose Company. You guys actually specialize in just project management, really. And you get, you know, basically you tackle just about anything and everything. Um, in terms of, you know, driving, uh, you know, whatever special project it is, it was very interesting to me because that's kind of my shtick is I like to kind of just go into whatever the problem is, regardless of the, uh, the background. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We're really, we're pretty unique in that we really help, uh, folks who are trying to figure out what to do next, really get clarity on the really, um, overall, uh, connected to folks' purpose. But w when it comes to the next generation, I got into studying millennials when I was 17. I wrote my first book about millennials when I was 17 because I was looking around having everybody chat with me and say, what's wrong with your generation? So when we're talking about millennials, usually people don't know who we're talking about or what we're talking about. So typically when we're talking about millennials, we're talking about folks who are 25 to 38, 39, almost 40 years old. When we're talking about that next generation, Generation Z, they're typically under the age of 25 right now. And so there's kind of that big cutoff of people are trying to figure out 
are Gen Z just the same thing as millennials, just younger? Uh, why aren't millennials acting like Gen X did at their same age? And I heard you guys kind of having this conversation, especially when it comes to the industry, when we're asking questions like, how do we recruit a next generation person to come and join the industry? How do we retain the great folks that we have? And then how do we start to grow with a multi-generational workforce? I think is really the most important question that we can be asking today. Yeah, so let's let's go with that. I, I think, you know, transportation in general is not like an industry that, especially when I was coming up, uh, was one that a lot of people were targeting in my age group. I mean, the youth of the nation, regardless of your generation, you know, you hear about finance and the things that get in the media more often, you know, social media now, of course, pumps a lot of that. What do you think, uh, you know, what do you think is one of the big takeaways here to attract some of the younger uh, you know, demographics into transportation or any industry at that? What are some of the uh, key characteristics of the younger demos that companies can, you know, some sort of characteristics they can target to understand them more and therefore kind of pull them into their, uh, their space? Yep. Yeah, I think there are really three core things that you need to consider when it comes to recruiting the next generation, because what it takes to attract them is not the same thing as what it takes to keep them. So when it comes to recruiting the next generation, you want to focus on number one, experience. The next generation, both millennials and Gen Z, care about experience. That means everything from the, the interview experience, is it seamless and is it using technology? The onboarding experience, is it on demand and easy to use? As well as the employment experience. All of those things for a generation that takes photos of their breakfast and will do a, a of their vacation, they're looking at not only the experience they can personally be in live, as well as the experience that they get to share. Number two, you really want to be focusing on how do you turn your employees into ambassadors? That's true no matter the industry that you're in. Good people know good people. What narrative are your young employees telling their friends and their family when they're going home for vacation or posting on Instagram or TikTok? So turning those employees into ambassadors to recruit, using incentives, using partnership models, using uh, stories and narratives that they can then share on their social media, that's going to be really important. And then number three is really having clarity on what a career path looks like. This is a generation who's wondering what's next. So it's not enough just to say this is a great career. This is going to be really great and stable. Those talking points don't work with the next generation. They want to know what is this going to turn into. And so getting a clear career path for this next generation and talking about what that next step will look like, not just could look like, is going to be really important to recruiting great next generation talent. Gabriel, that was a really great point there. And can you talk about, so one of the aspects I'm hearing a lot about, and I've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence or stories around this is um, maybe some people or some millennials or even uh, early Gen Zers foregoing some opportunities, passing up potential job opportunities or take another job opportunity that doesn't pay as much, but maybe they're making a career move or they enjoy the trajectory a little bit more so. So can you talk about some of the things that some millennials are looking for in the workplace because it doesn't seem like it's just money. It's not at all. It's really interesting when it comes to recruiting and even retaining the next generation. Absolutely, money is part of it. No one is volunteering here. We're all wanting to have value exchanged for our services. 
But when it comes to the overall picture of what role a job or career plays in our life, it's much more dynamic than that. So it used to be I have a very transactional experience with my employer. I work for you, then you give me a certain amount of salary, a certain amount of time off a year, and that's kind of where it goes from there. But we've really moved, and COVID really changed this, from transactional to transformational, where now employment looks much more like hey, I'm working for you, but I also too want to see if you can help me live my life better. So now we're seeing companies across industries create what we call whole person training, where they're helping people with time management, with maybe English as a second language, relational help. There's so much data out there that if you help your people live lives that are better, they're going to work harder, work longer, and be more productive at work. So we're just getting more data now that when it comes to employment, whether you're 22 or 62, we really need to have a more human-focused approach to engaging people. And I think millennials in particular have really led the charge when it comes to the relationship that we have with an employer isn't just the monetary component of it. Yes, we want to be paid what we're worth. And yes, we want to be valued for what we provide to the industry and our employer. But that's just one of a much more dynamic equation of what role companies play in the lives of their employees. You're you're making extremely valuable points, I think, you know, because a lot of the old mantra especially the old guard kind of thinks you should just be happy to have a job. You know what I'm saying? And there's, uh, you know, there is a little bit of that, but isn't the goal to not just have a job, but have careers. And I think that the younger generation growing up in a a totally different world than, uh, you know, a lot of the older generations have for sure have a different expectation level. And they should, I I think for the most part. But I I think a lot of people have kind of this... inaccurate persona of what a typical millennial or maybe an older Gen Z or are. Can you talk to some of those myths that, yeah, I think you've written a book about it that can like kind of dispel some of those so we can get across some of these boundaries? Sure. Yeah. I've written six books actually about (laughs) it. So one of them in particular, Five Millennial Myths, does dispel some of those myths. And some of those phrases that oftentimes we hear with kind of folks who've been in the industry, whether they're the old guard or self-described dinosaurs, are things like, yeah, you're lucky to have a job or that's the way it's always been done or wait your turn. And that's what I actually term corporate hazing, where sometimes inside of companies, we act as if the hard time we've had to endure to get to this position in our career is the same path that the next generation needs to take. And that's simply not the case. We need to have a mindset of how do we remove some of those barriers so that they would That way they can go farther and do better than we even did. So that's really important. And that takes a mental jump for many in an industry that that hasn't been modeled for them. But that's really the call of great leadership. And you can be a great leader whether you have five people following you, two people following you, or 500. And and especially in an industry that's changing is so dynamic, I think it's a huge opportunity for industry leaders to be able to come together to say, how do we think creatively about not only how we lead our people, but how we empower them to really take control of their career? Like I said, it's not that transaction of I'm waiting for someone to give me a job, tell me I'm promoted, or tell me what else I should do in my career. 
we've got a generation that as soon as they're accepting job offers are Googling, is this the right salary for me? Could I get paid more per hour? Are there other options for me when it comes to my career? So they're not just competing with jobs with other folks inside of the industry. They're competing against jobs with other people on the internet, in real estate, drop shipping, you name it. So it's far more competitive to find and keep great talent today than ever before. Well, Gabrielle, can you talk about this aspect around uh, mentorship? Because it sounds like, you know, not only as a great leader is, you know, helping you live a better life and offering all these things that the company can do, but how important or what are some of the aspects of mentorship in a role when you're kind of looking to either create leaders or maybe someone doesn't want a leadership position or have that kind of responsibility, but at least kind of grow and expand in their career and their skill set? Mentorship is one of the most important things that we can do when it comes to finding and keeping great talent. And oftentimes we think mentorship means getting together every Thursday at Denny's at 7 a.m. and answering their greatest life questions. And sure, that can be mentorship for for some, but for most, mentorship is really coaching. And coaching is simply coming alongside and helping redirect giving context to things. In fact, one of the biggest frustrations that companies who look at the next generation and say they're entitled, the most Googled word when it comes to millennials, it's typically because they don't understand the context of questions that this next generation has. And so when you coach, you come alongside and you can reset those expectations. In fact, expectations are the most important thing, is the most important thing a company or a coach can help the next generation with. Because they're coming in and they're getting advertisements on how to make $300,000 next month in real estate or how to get into Airbnb. And, And we've got a generation coming into the workforce that their expectations of income, return on investment and opportunity has been influenced by social media at large. So it's really important for you as a company, especially in the onboarding experience, to set proper expectations. So that way they know whether they're on track, they're doing the right thing, they need to adjust, et cetera. So coaching and mentoring is so incredibly important. And it can be done in micro coaching sessions, micro mentoring, where you're really creating little bits of information. You can use an LMS, a learning management system to mentor and coach as well. There are so many elements that can make it convenient, extremely affordable, but most important, effective. Yeah. So I I love what you're saying about, you know, giving advice to the, uh, you know, the older generation, but I kind of want to flip the script here. Uh, you know, the millennials are now sort of, they're gradually moving towards, you know, where Gen X and the boomers have been. And eventually you're going to be uh, the generation that's in charge. What type of advice would you give to the next generation? Uh, because it, you know, history repeats itself, as we all know. And I can't imagine what the baby boomers uh, parents thought of them. Anthony and I were talking before the show about how there had to be some similar kind of conversations back then about how their kids were, you know, I don't want to say disappointing, but, you know, maybe entitled. They probably use some of the same language we use today. So what advice do you give to, say, these up-and-coming Gen Zers uh, that are entering uh, the world and, you know, the real world, as we all call it? Uh, What should they do and be ready for uh, to kind of overcome this hurdle? 
Such a great question. And it's true. I think every single generation has criticized and tried to distance themselves from the previous generation, saying things like kids these days, and I would never do that or act that way. So that's certainly not anything new. But I think it's really important for both millennials and Gen Z to start to consider as they're entering into the workforce is to really focus on what we term teachability. I can't teach someone how to be teachable, but I can teach them how to do a job better, improve a process, learn a particular skill. So the teachability of a generation, I think, is really going to set them apart. But what's really interesting, and I heard you guys discussing this before I jumped on, is that Gen Z is far more likely than uh, than the millennial generation to go to college. And so that means that they're now looking for alternative forms of not only income, but careers that they're able to jump into right after finishing high school or maybe uh, maybe an associate's degree. And I think that's an incredible opportunity for an industry really looking to, um, to connect and, and engage with a younger generation because the Gen Z is extremely practical. Where my generation, the millennials, was told you can do anything that you want and be anything that you want by very well-meaning baby boomer parents, Gen Z were raised by mostly Gen X, who their parents were very skeptical and just a bit too realistic to say, you probably can't do anything that you want or be anything that you want. Pick two options. And so this next generation, I think, is really making decisions at much younger ages. In fact, millennials were deciding their career on average in 11th grade. Gen Z is deciding in seventh grade. So whenever I work with industries or speak at industry conferences, I'm talking to them about not just waiting till high school or college to do career fairs, but start to engage in middle school career fairs, which, believe it or not, are becoming a thing. And so starting to engage and recruit a younger generation at younger ages, because they're deciding what kind of career that they want, what kind of freedom that they want, what kind of opportunity that they want, and the lifestyle that they want based off of the careers that are um, that are currently available to them. So, Gabriel, that's interesting. Getting that career field set or really, I kind just of thought it was out. like sports that they were digging into the the middle school with. <laughs> but man, <laughs> I, I definitely remember doing like one of those personality tests where it's like this job is best fit for you, and right. the guy just kind of was like, maybe you shoot a little bit lower, but. <laughs> When you're looking at um, or any advice to people or individuals maybe in the workforce and uh, around, because I think you maybe have done this or lived this yourself, but a complete career shift. So, of course, you might have a roadmap built out. You might have, you know, everything set in stone. You have maybe three, four years into a certain industry. But what if you just want to like, all right, I'm done here. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go in a completely different direction. Can you talk a little bit about how you can kind of navigate that change uh, and navigate that scenario. Yeah, that transition between careers is something that is no longer something that's taboo or something that happens to the the few select. It's now becoming the norm. So in fact, most uh, employees today will have 12 different careers throughout their working experience. So those are careers. Those are typically industry changes or completely different shifts in what it is that they're actually doing. And on one side, it is can be seen as beneficial to the individual who's looking to create something maybe more dynamic. They get to try a bunch of stuff and see what fits. 
It's also too very dangerous because now we no longer have industry knowledge staying inside of the industry. So I work in a number of different industries from, you know, construction and transportation to healthcare to the legal industry and accounting. And what we're finding is when one generation, particularly millennials and Gen Z, decide that they don't like a an employer, they're not just switching employers or sw- switching industries. So a nurse may say, I don't really like this hospital. Instead of changing hospitals, she's going to decide to get into marketing. A lawyer may say, I don't like my firm. Instead of changing firms, he's going to get into public relations. And so it's a really interesting shift where we're not going to have as much industry knowledge. And on one side, that can be beneficial because there's cross-pollination between different industries, shared information, shared knowledge. But it's also, too, I think, going to be the largest challenge for us when it comes to innovation and industries and coming into the future, because we're just going to miss that depth of knowledge. We all know those people in their 60s or 70s who've been in the industry forever. They're the OGs. They are the ones who can tell you, we tried that before, it didn't work, and try doing it this way. And they seem to be able to fix things in seconds when it takes us forever trying to Google it. We need more of those people. And so that's really my heart is creating opportunities for folks in an industry to stick around longer. Because even if you're changing jobs in the industry, you're able to take that information, that innate knowledge that comes from experience and taking it to improve the industry, not just job hop. Uh, I mean, fantastic stuff. The, uh, the idea that people are, you know, there's options and they can, they can, there's so many more options now. It's kind of like generational ADD, if you will, like in terms of employment. Um, but that's, that's not the worst thing, I don't think, Anthony. <laughs> but Gabrielle, thank you so much. Uh, we have about, uh, you know, just over a minute left. Where can anybody, everybody reach out to you or find out more about you other than just simple Googling your name? <laughs> Yeah, apart from Google, we're really active on all social media. Um, But go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn. We create free trainings. We put out lots of information. You can find me at Gabrielle Boucher on LinkedIn. It's a great way to connect with me or on Instagram. I'm at Gabrielle Boucher there as well. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much, Gabrielle. Uh, And I mean, I... I could keep her on for an hour. Definitely. We, <laughs> but, we need another show. With yeah, I know, hour. right? <laughs> we have a lot more questions. But Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining us today. And, and thank you for watching. Thank you for watching. And we have a couple questions um, from the control room for a debate topic. Would you rather have $1 million right now or a dollar every month for the rest of your life? One million right now. You don't want that passive income? I mean, a dollar for one month? <laughs> Spider-Man versus Batman in a fight. Spider-Man. Dude, he can yeah. take a punch. Anything that Batman can throw yeah. at him. I'm picking a million and I'm going with Spider-Man. Yeah. I think those yeah. are both great choices. Easy, easy Thank question. you all for showing up today and watching.